Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. Well, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Auburn Day Podcast. As always, my name is Noble. I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today we have a fun podcast coming off of the bye week, previewing the upcoming matchup against the Arkansas Razorbacks, a little bit of SEC West action. But we also have a little bit of uh, a little bit of housekeeping, a little bit of internal stuff going on with this week. Uh, obviously, a couple weeks ago we talked about Landon King, who opted to take a red shirt and just kind of step back and come back at it next year, preserving his year of eligibility. And last night he decided to enter the transfer portal and he technically can't do it quite yet, but he entered his intent, which is pretty much him just saying that December 5th, he's going to enter the transfer portal when it opens. Um, And then AD Diamond is another name that is no longer on the team. Zykevious Walker is also a guy who is not on the team anymore. Just a couple, couple guys that were a little bit, you know, highly touted recruits coming in different different levels with all three of those guys, obviously. But Landon King really got a lot of backlash from the fans. He was a bit of a fan favorite with all of his talent. But Wheeler, why don't you just start? Kind of give us your thoughts about the situation. Were you surprised? And you know, when we talked about Landon King initially making his decision, your first reaction was he's gone. He's going to the portal, and that obviously ended up coming to fruition. So, just kind of give us your your thoughts on the whole situation and. Do you think, because a lot of people think that this is just the wheels falling off and it's all just going downhill. Do you think that this is kind of, do you think these three kind of incidents are isolated issues or do you think this is just the tip of the iceberg and it's just an absolute storm on the horizon? I do not think that Brian Harson is the answer. That being said, I just wanted to, that be the first thing that people hear because what I'm about to say is going to be, quite unpopular if social media is any indication. Um, I think that this is a problem across college football. I do not necessarily think that this is a Brian Harson problem. I think that what Brian Harson asked these guys to do was not unreasonable at all. There, I said it. I don't think it's bullying to say, we've put you on scholarship. We're paying for your school. We're giving you NIL money. We're giving you a stipend you will play football. Okay. The coaches decide who gets redshirted and who doesn't. You're not the coach. You are paid to be a football player at Auburn University. So that's what you need to do. This would be like a student just dropping out of school and still wanting to get paid and then getting mad at the school that they weren't getting good grades. Clearly there's something wrong. Brian Harson makes more money staying as Auburn's head football coach than he does getting fired. And even though it does seem like some of the play calls are him trying to get fired, I guarantee you the guy does not want to get canned. If he wanted to get canned, he would have taken one of these cushy buyouts 
the reason he's not taking them is because at the end of the day, he wants to be the football coach at a Power 5 school. This is not just an Auburn problem. It's absolutely ridiculous that these guys think that they can just redshirt at Auburn, not contribute to the team, so that they can go and have eligibility elsewhere. Because the num- how many guys have you seen say, you know what, I want to play scout team and then come back and be a baller for you next year? I've never seen someone in college football do that and stay at the school where they are and play for that team again. It's a pitiful excuse for getting trained for free, not even for free, getting paid to train for football so that you can go and play somewhere else. So I'm I'm 100% on board. You're either with us or you're not with us. And if you're not good enough to get on the field, there's a reason why you're not good enough to get on the field. We can, as fans, disagree because obviously his talent is undeniable. What he did in the Alabama game in overtime, what he did in the Penn State game with that catch, were undeniable talent plays. But there's a reason that the man's not playing football on a team that is desperate for someone at receiver to come out there and play. This is the same as Kyle Davis. Back when Gus, when everything was rolling, and if everything was rolling and the people didn't feel like the wheels were falling off the program, then people would not come to the aid of Landon King and be like, go get yours, bro. We're so sorry that this happened to you at Auburn. And then his little thing at the end of his little graphic saying that he's an Auburn man. No, you're not. You quit on the team. You quit on the Auburn football team and chose to enter your name into the transfer portal while you took Auburn University's money. That's my perspective on it. I I mean, I know that that's not going to be a popular perspective, but that's what you signed up for. That And that's how it is. I really, th- I really think you hit the nail on the head with the the Kyle Davis comparison, and you know, with Kyle Davis and Duke Williams, those are kind of two guys, undeniable talent, all I mean, incredible football players, and people don't really take people don't really chastise Gus as much for those guys not really staying on the team, and I do think a lot of that is because we were good, we were rolling, we still had good seasons, and you could kind of you could kind of see that there were other problems. And I think that Landon King was a tough situation for, for him. I don't necessarily disagree with what Harson did because obviously I, I do agree with what you're saying. The guys on scholarship play football at Auburn. So Harson's mentality is kind of like, yeah, he can do what he, he can pick who red shirts and who doesn't from Landon King's perspective. He's very talented, arguably the most talented wide receiver on the team. He really he doesn't know the offense super well, and that's why he doesn't see the field. He gets moved to scout team before LSU, doesn't see a snap in the LSU game. He decides to preserve a year of eligibility, take a red shirt. From Landon King's perspective, that does make sense because you want to save a year of college football because you still want to play, you want to have tons of time. And if you look at his transfer grade almost, it's really not that great. Coming out of high school, he was a three-star recruit, kind of a diamond-in-the-rough kind of guy. And while we have seen that, yeah, he's good. Like, he can catch. He, he, he's, a, he's an eye-popping guy. His recruiting wasn't that great, and his, his stats on paper aren't that great. Because we've seen him make crazy catches. We've seen him make great plays. But he hasn't been on the field that much, and that's because he doesn't really know the offense. So he hasn't really played a whole lot. So Landon King's transfer value isn't exactly elite. You can look at a guy like, you know, even a guy like Duke Williams or Kyle Davis, they had numbers. So it's like if they had just a squeaky clean situation and they just wanted to go somewhere else, those resumes would have gotten them SEC West offers just like that. 
Landon King, you don't really know if that's true. And so I think that that makes the situation a little bit more interesting. But from Landon King's perspective, he wants to take the red shirt to preserve his year of eligibility. You do you. Brian Harson's perspective, he's the head football coach. Things are not going well. He can't have guys that are just saying, you know, I'm going to hit the port or I'm just going to wait. I'm going to redshirt and I'm just going to see what happens. And uh, I might stay at Auburn because you won't be here. Because let's be honest, the whole team knows he's not going to be here next year. And from Brian Hart's perspective, you can't run. You, you're, you're, he still has to do his job. Like, you can't fault Brian Harson for making a move like this, even though, yeah, he probably knows he's not going to be here next year, but he can't just throw in the reins and be like, well, guys, I'm done. I'm not I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to let everyone run free. I'm not going to have discipline. I'm not going to have any rules, not going to have anything, because I know just as much as you guys that I'm not going to be here next season. He's still got to do his job until he is not in charge of the program. So I, I really I can I understand both guys' perspectives, and I really don't disagree with what Harson did from the perspective of you can't just have guys that say, "Hey, I'm going to take a red shirt because I don't want to play," and I think that's the the complicated thing. But I really do think that this situation isn't talked about as much if we are not three and four right now. I really loved how you said that because. The situation is completely different. Now, with that being said, we vocalize we're not the biggest Brian Harson fans. This situation, now, and I think the Zykevius Walker situation, I'm much more on Zykevius Walker's side in that scenario than I am on Landon King's side in this one. And Brian Harson, he he stretches the truth as much as it can possibly be stretched in press conferences. And you saw that this week as well with this whole situation, but I really do think that this is – I think Harson's getting more flack than he should, and I think that the quote-unquote report that's coming out that he's not letting people redshirt, that, that's, not, that's not uncommon in college football. Like, players don't just say, oh, I'm going to come in and I'm going to redshirt. No, the coaches say, all right, we're going to bring this guy in and they're going to redshirt. We all knew Holden was going to redshirt. But that wasn't necessarily Holden walking into the program and saying, all right, guys, I'm going to redshirt. I'm not going to play in – I'm going to play in, you know, four games, no more, no less. No, that was the coach saying, all right, Holden, you're coming in. We might play you in the four games, but we're not going to play you in five because we want to redshirt you. Like, when the guy is getting paid to play football for a school, it becomes the coach's decision how that school utilizes them. It does. It's just not the other way around. That's just how it works. So – with the specific Landon King situation, I understand both sides. I think that from Brian Harson running a program, he made the right decision. And I think for Landon King's career, I don't think he made the wrong decision for himself. Now, you can say whatever you want, but I just don't think that Landon King would have – he would have lost his year of eligibility and he wouldn't have played that much more. So, yeah, they gave him a choice. They said, all right, you can either stay here and – you know, try and ball out when in the opportunities that you are given, or you can leave. And he chose to leave. That's all on him. Good luck wherever he goes. Wish him the best. But I really don't disagree with how the two situations handled it because I think both parties did what was best for them in their current scenarios. And if you want to quit the team, that's fine. But the whole I'm going to redshirt and stay on the team and come to practice and get your coaching – so that I can be better somewhere else. Because, like I said, I, I tell me if I'm wrong. Who have you ever seen that took a red shirt at their school because 
they weren't getting the touches they wanted in a season and then stayed at that school and was successful. It doesn't exist. Those guys do not exist, especially in the year of the transfer portal. Now, a situation, a red shirt, red shirt situation that I do think was messed up, going back to Gus with the Mark Antony Richards situation, where the coaches had sat down with the player and with the player's family and said, hey, we're going to redshirt your son. Then he comes out and they play him in an extra game and he loses his ability to redshirt because the coaches just had a goof in the middle of a game threw him out there and he played on one play and he lost his ability to redshirt. That is totally different than a guy saying, I'm not getting the reps that I wanted. I'm in a red shirt so that I can preserve a year. That's my opinion. I I just I don't understand why what what's gonna happen so much better next year that you can't do this year. Like it's not like there's elite talent at Auburn's receiver position. If you're really that elite, go get on the field then. Do it. Go get on the field. You're not that elite. And everybody complaining about the guys that left the program and saying it's in shambles because half the class left. Guys, these people signed up to play at a university that didn't have a head coach. Like, signing day, early signing day, happened before Brian Horson was even there. Like, there there wasn't a head coach. These people just signed the letter of intent. No, they didn't have great offers somewhere else. That's the thing. People don't come and sign to Auburn because they don't just love Auburn University that much. It's where they could sign. And you're seeing that because everybody that leaves is going to trash schools. These people are not getting picked up by Bama, Georgia, Ohio State. None of them are doing that. They're not even getting picked up by Ole Miss, Mississippi State. These guys are going down to the FCS. They're going down several levels of football because they are not very good at the game of football. And so, yes, they're leaving, but that, I mean, they weren't that good. If they were that good, they would go to good places. Now, maybe Landon King will prove me wrong and Alabama will pick him up and he'll just be an absolute dog for them. I don't see that happening. I just really don't. I don't see a guy that is that good not being put on the field. We don't see practice every single day. We don't see what the meeting room is. We don't see what the team culture is. And, like I said, we don't love Brian Harson, but also it does not make sense for him to self-destruct. He's not trying to self-destruct. He is trying to the best of his ability to hold the team together, and he realizes that that's not the way to hold the team together by just having guys run amok and say, yeah, I'm redshirting now. Like I don't want to play for this team because this team isn't doing well. Because where does it stop? Then you just start having other guys that are like, oh, man, we're not making the playoff this year. Like I'm just going to – catch a red shirt. Remember when De'Eric King did that? Remember when all of Houston's roster, their entire offense just said, we're going to take a red shirt and we'll be back next year and we'll show the world. And then every single one of them transferred. That's what happens because that's what people do. People don't red shirt and then stay around at that school. So don't be deceived by this. Oh, I'm the martyr. No, they're not the martyr. You just don't like Brian Harson. You don't like that we're three and four. And so you're doing whatever you can to say, oh, this is for cause. He's a bully. No, that's that's just not the case. And I'm sad, too, that the guy can't get fired for cause. But at the end of the day, let's not take our personal feelings of what we want to happen with the football program and spend every single thing to make it seem like everything he does is trash and everything that these players do is just martyrdom because it's not. 
And I think I think that's a fair point. And I do agree with you about how different the the Asa Martin situation was with the with Gus Malzahn and his staff back when that whole thing happened. Sorry, Asa Very Martin. different situations. Yeah, it was Asa Martin. But uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I I really do think. I mean, I, like I said, I think it was best for both sides. But I do agree with you that. I would say that the the media reaction, the social media reaction, has been much more anti Harson because of every like there's really aren't that many people left that like Harson, and this isn't necessarily either one of us saying that oh Brian Harson is completely in the right and he should you know be restored to you know the head coach whatever however you want to say it. This is not us saying that he deserves to remain in the head coach, but this is us saying you know this specific situation might not be a horrible thing that Harson has done. Now, with that being said, that can kind of shift into this next kind of discussion. It seems like there has been a bit of a shift with kind of the team, and it, it seems like the the team's attitudes toward Harson has changed just a little bit. And it seems like there's much more of a, a, a vocalization of people. They're kind of just kind of dissuaded by things that are Har- that Harson is doing. And a lot of people were looking to this bye week as kind of a regroup period to, you know, reband together, move forward for a bowl game. And I still – and we'll, we'll obviously talk about Arkansas in the future games. And I still – you know, we mentioned it last week. These games – we still have some winnable games. But I just don't know. I From just things I've been hearing, it just seems like the team's attitude toward Harson has gotten worse in this bye week. And so my kind of question to you is – do you think that the bye week will hurt this team? And this is obviously, you know, this might be a freezing cold take, and we'll find out on Saturday depending on how they play. But just from things that I've heard and some players that I've heard things from, it, it just seems like there's been a bit of a shift, and the attitude toward Harson going into the bye week is very different than it was coming out of the bye week, and it's not in a super positive direction. So do you think that this bye week might end up hurting the team in the long run and might kind of bury us in the sense of not being able to get a bowl? Or do you think that this bye week will be kind of that rejuvenation that we needed and the players are going to come out with their tails on fire and play some football against Arkansas on Saturday? I think that the consensus with the team is now in agreement with the fans that Brian Harson's got to go. Do I think that that will have any effect on the field? I really don't. Because at this point, the guys that are playing – other guys that are, I mean, they're still trying to win games for the guys that are transferring to put good tape out there for the transfer portal. And for the guys that are staying, I mean, they're competitive people. They want to win the football game. It doesn't matter if you hate the coach's guts or not. Like, you're still going to go out there and play hard because if you don't play hard, you're going to go get rocked. Like, physically, you like you will get your teeth kicked in by another grown man who is playing hard. So they're going to play hard. They're, I mean, the plan hadn't been very good. It's not like, you know, the buy-in is really super important into the game plan. If anything, it may be better if the buy-in was not super good for the play, for the playbook because the play has been trash. Um, so all of that being said, like I said, I'm not saying that Brian Harson is the answer. I'm not saying that Brian Harson should be retained. I'm not saying that I think he necessarily will be retained. I also think that the players finally had a moment to get their head above water, and they were like, dang, everybody hates this guy. And, I mean, there's good reason why, because he's kind of a chotch. Um, 
And it seems like an interesting time where he just, during the bye week, decided to tell everybody either quit or play. Seems like he should have been doing that the entire time when people told him that they were redshirting, not four weeks later. So, again, weird timing on it. That's probably another reason that it's not settling well. Um, At the end of the day, Arkansas, not that great of a football team. I think that Auburn can beat them just because they're not very – good at football and I think if you beat Arkansas then the whole season changes because they just need a win they haven't won in a long time you know and so you need a win and you need a win that's not like even the Missouri game even though it went in the column as a win all of the players after that game did not feel like they had won the game you know like it went on it didn't help the mentality at all because you know that the other team handed you sold the game so, you need a win, a real win, and I think you get back going. You want to talk about a train wreck? Texas A&M's a train wreck right now. At least there aren't reports of Auburn guys smoking weed in the locker room before the game. I mean, there's a report of Zach Calzada getting hammered before the game, but he wasn't going to play. He was just going to stand on the sidelines. These people were about to play in the football game and were smoking weed. For a coach that is universally despised, who has... Such a high buyout that he really doesn't care because the difference in Brian Harson and Jimbo Fisher, one, Brian Harson doesn't get 100% of the pay if he's fired. Two, Brian Harson has an offset in his contract where if he takes a job somewhere else, he has to offset that buyout, okay? So when people say, why is he going to take a reduced buyout? That's why, because you can write the offset clause out. So instead of saying... We'll pay you $15 million, but if you take a $3 million job, then you'll get 12 You can just write it off and say, we're going to pay you 12 doesn't matter what kind of job you get. So that's, that's what the negotiating power's been. And guess what? He still thinks he's going to turn it around because he hadn't taken that buyout, and they're not going to offer him that the week before the Alabama game because they're like, heck, man, we can fire you in a week. It's not like Cadillac is going to coach us to a win against Alabama. So, no, I, I just think – It'll be fine. If we lose the Arkansas game, it's going to get ugly on social media. And I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if they lose the Arkansas game if if they can him. Um, I really – I don't know what happened to the athletic director situation. Everybody was all gung-ho that it was about to happen, it's about to happen, it's about to happen, and then it just went stone cold. So – that also affects whether or not they fire the guy, because really, is it going to become any more of a train wreck than it already is? I don't think it is. I mean, Tennessee lost 39 players when they fired Jeremy Pruitt, and they're back to a college football playoff level two years later. So, in today's college football, is a train wreck really that big of a train wreck? I don't. I, I think that it really depends on who your coach is, and so it's not like you got to like hold on and make sure that everything doesn't fall apart. It, I mean, it's falling apart whether they keep Brian Harson or not. So, I don't know. But I do think they win this weekend. I really do. Well, yeah, and that, that you know, that's a comforting, comforting, you know, kind of hope. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned the the AD search kind of getting a little crazy. You know, it seemed like it was going to be, you know, either Hartwell or Glenn for a little while, about, you know, almost about a week and a half. It seemed like those were the really only two guys. And then, Eddie Nunez's name gets thrown in there. Benedict comes back into the fold, and, you know, you, you think he might be a guy. So that AD hire, it's just 
I mean, it, a lot of it's just the president really wants to be meticulous and everything like that. That's what everyone's been saying is that, you know, he, he just really wants to be 100% sure that he makes the right hire, which I do understand that the guy wants to make the right hire. But at some point, I think having an athletic director kind of gives that stability. When you take the interim name off of it, when you have a guy who is the athletic director, it adds a little bit of stability. You can fire people. Because let's be honest, Rich McGlynn's not going to just call up Parson and fire him as the interim athletic director. Because if you're in an interim position, you're not going to make the biggest possible thing that you're technically allowed to do. So I just think that having an athletic director could provide a little bit of stability. But if they keep postponing when they want to fire Harson, having an athletic director isn't exactly the most pressing matter. But I do think it needs to happen sooner rather than later. If we start rolling into Texas A&M and we still don't have an athletic director, something has gone wrong and we need to say, all right, Roberts, pick a guy. I mean, at some point. There are a couple guys that you don't think are going to be terrible. Pick one of them, you know. But, you know, you, you mentioned kind of the, the Arkansas game. For those who don't know, Arkansas is four and three. They started the season pretty hot with wins over Cincinnati and South Carolina. That's their first two wins that ended up being their lone SEC win of the season so far. Game against Missouri State, they won. Then they lost to Texas A&M by two. Uh, next week, they lost to Alabama by three touchdowns, lost to Mississippi State by a very wide amount. And then the right before the bye week, they beat BYU 52-35. to 35. Uh, To go into the bye week with a little bit of momentum, Auburn was unfortunately not able to do the same. But when you look at Arkansas, just looking at box scores really – you can tell their defense really is not that kind of Arkansas defense you think. You know, like that that hard nose, they play hard. They're just going to, you know, grit, grind you out. It kind of looks like the Arkansas defenses of the Bielema days where they were just terrible. I mean, you've got Cincinnati scored 24 on them, which isn't terrible, but you're also like, Cincinnati's just not that good. South Carolina put up 30. Missouri State put up 27. A&M scored 23, which at the time didn't look that bad, but A&M's offense is arguably worse than Auburn's. I mean, those those dudes, they're real talented, but they're just terrible at executing. And then you have Alabama put up 49, Mississippi State put up 40, even BYU, even the game that they won, BYU put up 35 on them. So this is a game where Auburn, it's going to be an 11 a.m. kick in Jordan-Hare. Auburn is a three-and-a-half-point dog. Do you think – so we, we saw we saw last week or, you know, the week before last against Ole Miss, we saw what our offense could do against a bad defense. Do you think – are you more comforted in how that game turned out rolling into this Arkansas game that our offense will be able to score points on these guys and we're hoping for turnovers to kind of shift the momentum? Or what do you think are kind of the biggest keys to this game? And do you think our offense or our defense is more important in this Arkansas matchup coming right off the bye? Honestly, I think the defense is because if the defense can just hold them to a reasonable number of points, I think the offense can score on these guys. I mean, you've had two – I mean, BYU, they're not very good this year. They lost to Liberty, hanging 35. You have Bama's offense with a backup quarterback. When Bama's offense played the next week with a backup quarterback, they were awful. I mean, terrible. Jalen Milrow struggled. Against Texas A&M. I mean, bad, bad. And he, I mean, he looked like the next coming of Bryce Young when he played Arkansas. Um, So, no, I I don't think that the offense is going to be the problem this week. They they struggled against the running quarterback. Um, 
I think that this is going to be a, a big game for the Auburn offense to get their confidence going. Um, I think the O-line will actually be able to open up some holes, maybe, you know, hey, what we'll see. Um, but And I think that Robbie will actually be able to run a lot. So, I think – no, I think it'll be fine. I am intrigued to see how the defense is able to hold K.J. Jefferson because last year it was a lot of uh, – was it Kobe McLean making plays on him, playing the QB spy? So I'm intrigued to see if we spy him again this year. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. The defense has been the weak point for weeks now, in my opinion. I mean, they've been giving up some serious points, and that is a concern. Yeah, I agree with you. And really, I'm I'm definitely a little bit worried about KJ Jefferson as a runner for obvious reasons. But honestly, Raheem Sanders is a guy that really does worry me as well. He is statistically the number one back in the SEC, 870 rushing yards and seven touchdowns. He averages six yards a carry on the season in week eight. I mean, that's that's impressive. I mean, that's just really, really great numbers. And obviously, when we went up against two of the other kind of leaders in the SEC statistically against Ole Miss, I mean, Zach Evans and Quinchon Judkins ran all over us, and so did Jackson Dart. So really – if we have the same defensive game plan against all or against Arkansas that we did against Ole Miss, I think we're just going to get absolutely run through. Good so obviously, yeah, I mean, you're going to hope that there are going to be some adjustments, but I really do think if we can stop the run, I, I'm really not as I don't, I don't want to say not worried, but I'm, I'm really not as concerned. That was kind of what we did last year when we kind of we slowed down their run, made KJ Jefferson throw it. And, you know, K.J. Jefferson and Traylon Burks were a good duo. They couldn't get quite that much. And we've done a really good job. We kind of went away from it a little bit. But this year we really have kind of gone back to the things that were common in the steel eras when it comes to the pass defense. You know, it seems like the the other team's number one receiver really hasn't been the guy toasting us. And if someone's toasting us through the air, it's not through their number one guy. So I think that's a compliment to our secondary. And if we can stop – uh, what's his name, Hasselwood, their top receiver, and kind of limit their run game, I think that defensively we should be able to hang in this. Now, obviously, I think the biggest the biggest key is how our linebackers play. With Owen Papo still nursing an injury, you got Wesley Steiner out there who is just trying his best. I, I just really don't know how our linebackers are going to be able to hold up because last year it felt like our linebackers were more of a strength. This year it feels like they're kind of kind of more of in limbo, so – I think that's, in my opinion, I think the biggest position group to watch is how the linebackers react to the runs, filling the holes and doing all that good stuff. And offensively, I think it's just – I think Arkansas is going to sell out to stop the run and make Robbie beat him through the air because I think that's what any competent defensive coach would do because Robbie just really hadn't proven that he can beat anyone through the air. So that kind of leads me to my next question. Do you think that our offense will be able to move the ball – if Tank Bigsby is not the biggest contributor for this offense. Yes, because you still have Jarquez Hunter, who I think is very capable of contributing to your football team. I mean, Jarquez would be at running back one at almost any school in the SEC. So I, I don't think that Tank's ability to contribute is necessarily the most important. But the thing is, if Tank is not contributing, that means that we are not getting any holes on the, with the offensive line. And I think that that means no running back will contribute. So, yes and no. Do I think it's Tank per se? No. Do I think that Tank is going to be the running back that is getting the most carries at the beginning of the game 
and will give us an indication of what kind of day it's going to be on the line? Yes. So that's my yes and no. Because, I mean, if you if they can't open up holes against Arkansas, it's going to look like every other offensive performance other than Ole Miss. And it's just going to be brutal to watch. It's going to be three and out after three and out. Oscar Chapman's going to have another legendary day. And, you know, punt the ball 80 yards and then go hold for Anders and miss it wide left. The uh, the thing that worries me the most about this game is two two numbers from Arkansas stats. They uh, so their third down conversion rate is forty nine percent, which is really good. I mean that is really solid. Auburn's I think is thirty three, and we're having thirty three was higher. I, I expected it to be lower than it was. Um, they've converted. They've gotten a first down nine different times on penalties. Auburn has done that only three times this season. Arkansas gets first downs a lot more efficiently than Auburn does. And also, something that was interesting to me, their turnover ratio is right at zero, which is, I mean, that that's that's fine. Like, you know, if you're going to be a zero, that's not exactly great. That's not bad by any means. Auburn is minus 11. And I think that is one of the biggest concerns about this game is Arkansas takes care of the football so much better than Auburn does. And I think that when you look at two teams that are kind of kind of comparable in record, kind of comparable in how they've been playing, I mean, Arkansas's offense has been a lot better than Auburn's, but their defense has played worse. So I would say that if you look at the kind of the whole, the entirety of how these two teams have played, it's it's pretty similar. But Arkansas takes care – they take care of the football – and they stay on the field a long time. And that's the thing that worries me is I don't know how much our defense will be able to stay on the field with these guys if they just keep converting third down after third down. You know they're not going to turn it over. It's not like our defense is really forcing a ton of turnovers this season. I think that, in my opinion, that is the biggest thing to watch is if Auburn can either tie or win the turnover battle, I think we win this game. I think that if we turn it, if we start turning it over, I think it gets ugly quick. And – I don't have a ton of faith that we don't turn it over against these guys, but I think that our defense has to really step up and make Arkansas flustered and force some turnovers. Cause I really do think this is a beatle team, but they've got to turn it over. We've got to do, I think we've got to have something that helps the offense out, get some momentum going early. I don't think we can just line up and just go and play football against these guys for 60 minutes. Cause I think we will make more mistakes than they will. But if they start making mistakes early, get momentum in the home crowd, so that starts going for you. It's been two weeks since you've played. Guys are going to be hyped up. I think that this it's a winnable game, but I do think that there are some, there are some metrics to really watch closely in this game because I think it could get ugly quick, but I do think Auburn could win. And so that kind of leads me into where, you know, kind of getting closer to wrap it up. We either, you said we, you think we're going to win. You're feeling good right now. Give us a score prediction, and what do you think the most important aspect of Auburn winning this game is? 35-21 Auburn, and by far the most important aspect is O-line play. I think even more than turnovers. I really do, depending – because, I mean, the team, I mean, has been turning the ball over and has still looked somewhat confident even when they had good O-line play. I think – O-line play and turnover, so are your two biggest things. If the O-line gets a push and you don't have more than two turnovers, I think you can win the game by multiple possessions. Interesting, interesting. I I would – I've really gone back and forth with this one. 
I, I really want to predict an Auburn win because it's at home and it's Arkansas. It's just difficult for me to predict us losing to these guys. I, I think if we win, it'll be close. And if we lose, I think it gets ugly. So I, I would say that if we, I think if we can keep the turnover battle under control, I think we can win kind of a, a 29 to 27 game. I just think it's going to be a weird game. I don't think it's going to be a conventional score if we win. I think we're going to have something weird that happens. Either we get like, either we get a safety or we, we miss some extra points or get go for two. I don't know. I think that if we win this game, we'll have a weird score. And so I, I think that that kind of goes into that. And then with Arkansas, if Arkansas wins it, I think they beat us handedly. I think they beat us by at least, at least 14 if we lose this game. I just think that this is the kind of game that could get ugly quick. I think that if we go down early, I don't think our guys will come back. I think that they'll give up. I really do. So I, that's just kind of where I'm at right now. I don't think that we have another, you know, with Ole Miss, we go down three touchdowns, kind of claw our way back to where we're in the game still. I don't think we have another one of those in us. I think that if we go down three touchdowns at home, I think it I think it gets bad quick. Now, I don't think we'll go down by three scores, but I do think I could see this being similar to how the Georgia and Penn State games were where we were in it and then it all fell apart. I think that unless we get something that can really spark our momentum, get points on the board, give us a lead, I think it I think it could get rough. But we'll see. We'll see. And obviously we're we're cheering for Auburn as much as we can. And, you know, you obviously will have a little bit of more, you know, sunshine pumping than I usually do. But that's just that's just where we're at right now. And we're excited to excited to be back in Jordan Hare and, you know, see some see some Auburn football again. Next Monday, first basketball exhibition. The good news is coming. <laughs> Just uh, you know, we're we're really running out of time. But give us a, a quick synopsis of basketball. Just a quick like record prediction. Obviously, it's way too early. We're not going to hold you to this at all. But just gut feeling. What what are you thinking before you've really seen the team in action? Third in the SEC. I think that they will be heating up at tournament time once you have Chance Westry getting back into the groove, coming off of his injury. I think he's going to be an elite playmaker. I said it after the games in Israel. Bruce has been saying it. I think uh, John, John, how do you say his name? Not Johnny. Janai. Janai. Janai, going to be absolute beast. He is going to be a difference maker. Um, and I'm just glad that uh, Wynn could save Dylan's life. I think that this is, you know, with basketball, I – I really compare this feeling kind of like the 2020 team. You've got some guys around them that were on a good team the year before. They have a little bit more experience. They're going to be the guys that you kind of are expecting to lean on. But you've got some new newcomers that are going to be big-time players. Obviously, Chance Westry is the Isaac Okoro in this situation. I'm not saying Chance is going to be a top-five pick. But I do think that Chance is going to be one of the guys, talent-wise, that you look at and you're like, that guy is one of the best basketball players on the team. I think you're going to feed the inside more when we did with Austin Wiley, how we'll do with Janine Broom. I think that will be kind of the similar similar vibes of the team. And who knows? We, we don't know what that team would have done in March Madness, but I think this team will – be a similar similar style of basketball but as always guys we just really thank you for listening and next week we'll be back breaking down what is hopefully an auburn win over the hogs and previewing the auburn mississippi state game that will be under the lights in starkville um as always thank you guys for listening and war eagle war eagle